I really wanted justice for my parents, you know, and I really wanted to fight with them and for them. And yeah, that's why I've been trying to do all that I can and also like learn as much as I can and like in ways of how do I support them. And yeah, it's definitely like helped me strengthen my relationship with my parents. Like I would say like I'm, I'm a lot, lot closer to my mom and to my dad. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersection of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning, and welcome to our second ever Deep Dive series. This series is called Generation Transformation, and it's all about transformative practice in youth and intergenerational organizing. The first episode of the series was last week. It's titled Generation Transformation here in our episode catalog on whatever platform you're listening. And we spoke last week with Ellie Kuna from United We Dream and New Mexico Dream Team, with Taj James of Movement Strategy Center, and with Supriya Lopez-Pulay and Gladibel Vidal. Uh, from Ford Foundation and from the Next Gen Fund about why we are focusing on uplifting stories from youth and folks who are doing intergenerational organizing and specifically how they're incorporating healing and transformative practice into that work. This series is so gorgeous and we very much continue Uh, that trend today as we get to drop in on a conversation that happened just a few weeks ago in the offices of Chinese Progressive Association in San Francisco, California. Taj James from Movement Strategy Center and the Next Gen Fund is our guest host for this series. And so you'll hear Taj speaking with the lead youth organizer at CPA named Lai Wa Wu, a youth leader named Emily Wong, And they'll discuss the challenges and the fruitful progress of their youth organizing campaigns in fighting for mental health services and incorporating healing and justice work through their group called Youth Mojo, which stands for Movement of Justice and Organizing. We're also joined in a second segment by one of CPA's tenant worker center adult leaders, Ray Fung Do, also known as Angela, uh, supported by the interpretation of Adrian in reflections about intergenerational learning and building. This episode is full of depth and power and sweetness in reflecting intergenerationally. And we're so moved by CPA's commitment to building in this way with whole families, with multiple generations, working toward distinct and shared goals. And so, so glad you're with us here today. And this first voice that you'll hear is our host, Taj James. And so it begins. <laughs> well, it's, um, it's an honor to be here in the circle with you both at the Chinese Progressive Association. Um, Founded a year before I was born in 1972. So uh, this institution is uh, just a little older than me. But having lived in this city and worked in this city for many years, I um, came to know and appreciate the power of this community through the power of this place and the people who, who are part of this place. And just really honored that you all are part of this generation transformation conversation we're having with the Healing Justice podcast as a part of the Next Generation, Next Gen Fund effort to lift up the voices and the stories of young people building transformational power in their communities. So really, really honored to be here. This is also the home of the Youth Movement for Justice and Organizing, also known as Youth Mojo. And I'm here with two of the leaders of that effort, Lai Wa Wu and Emily Wong, who are respectively one of the members of the organization and the youth organizer here. And so we're going to have some conversation about your journeys, how you came into this work and what brought you to this place and what you and your community have done to try to shift in really powerful ways the experiences of people in this place. So thank you for being here, being a part of this. So Laiwa, you've been leading this youth organizing effort since 2015. Curious to hear what your journey was. How did you come to this place and Mm -hmm. what brought you here? I come from a family of badass women, a lineage of mothers and farmers. 
a lineage of people who really understood what it meant to survive off of the land and to honor the fruits of our land. My family is in China. My mom, dad, sister, and I are the only ones in the United States. You know, as a Chinese woman coming from an impoverished community, I think over her years, my mom and a lot of my family members really internalized a lot of hate and shame and guilt around what it means to be poor. And I think out of her shame and guilt grew a fire in her to want something better for herself as well as her children's future. And so she ran away to Hong Kong when she was 18, found herself with another person who had the same vision and dream of migrating to the States. And we arrived to the States when I was seven in Kansas, out of all places. And so I tell the story in answer to your question, what brought me here, I think I hold in in my own um, memory and my in honoring my mom both the resilience and I think still a lot of the internalized shame that a lot of working class folks go through. And my my dream and my drive to really create a different story for our working class communities, for our Chinese communities that truly honors and understands their working class experience from a place of pride. And so my journey to Chinese Progressive Association is very deeply rooted and connected to my story with my own mom and my dad and my ancestry. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Part of what's happening in the kind of transformational organizing that you all are doing is a recognition that we can all come to the table as full human beings in relationship. And we each have our different roles to play, but each of us does have a story to tell and it's powerful to tell our stories. So thank you for sharing a little bit of that. Thank you. So you've started as a young person organizing with undocumented students. You've been a labor organizer. You've been an environmental justice organizer. And now you're organizing with young people and with youth and families. Mm -hmm. So why young people? This organization works with tenants, it works mm -hmm. with workers, it works with young people, it works with parents, mm -hmm. and you've done it all. Yeah. What's special about young people? What can young people do that no one else can? What's their superpower? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Why young people? I think first off, I think back to my own life story of growing up as a Chinese-American queer woman in the middle of Kansas white suburbia. At the age of seven, up until the age of 18, I've told Emily this, I think, I learned in many, many ways lessons around not belonging, you know, and learn how to uh, hide my own story and um, shrink myself for the sake of those around me. And I remember, I have some of the worst memories in my life in high school, but also some of the most transformative moments in my life happened in high school. And when I think about the transformative moments, I think about the small but incredibly significant moments with adults in my life. I think about Mr. Runyon. He was a math teacher. The small moments where he just would look at me, would offer his math room during lunch hour when he noticed myself like feeling isolated or not having a place to go. And in a simple moment, acknowledge my presence and notice I mattered. And I think about those small moments as a young person and how those moments forever changed the trajectory of what I chose to value as a human being and what, what I believe every young person deserves to feel. And so I started work in, in undocumented youth organizing and I went into labor organizing work. But I always found myself back to youth organizing because I still to this day have recollections of the people in my life, like Mr. Runyon, and I owe such a sense of gratitude for those people. The superpower of young people, I mean, you look at everything that's going on with the Youth Climate Strike March. 
are young folks in Youth Mojo who won a $1.5 million campaign, right, to transform the way we think about schools, think about students as a source of strength, as a source of abundance versus a deficit. I mean, we can go on and on about that. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we will go on and on about mm-hmm. that. And yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, I'm i curious, Emily, if, how you find yourself here and uh, what was your journey into becoming a youth organizer? So I was recruited my junior year in high school by a friend. She told me it was like a social justice program and I'm like, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> what's social justice? <laughs> and I didn't have anything to do over the summer anyway. So I decided like, why not? I felt so welcomed and I wanted to keep coming and keep building with the people that were there. And what really helped me stay was going to YLI, which is the youth leader retreat. And that was very healing for me to be around people who owned up to their power as Chinese American youth. Like I've never been in a space where youth have really been proud of who they were. Like for me growing up, like I was shamed upon for being Chinese and I kind of internalized that hate. But really after being in Mojo, I learned to own up to it and be like, hey, like these are my parents. They're like super hardworking and they love me and I like I love them too, you know. And now I'm like super proud of my parents and like proud of like who I am as Chinese American. And I wanted to like keep being in that community and keep building with everyone. And after my summer as a member, I was nominated to come back as a core leader over the school year. And that was when I was able to work on the mental health campaign with the core team. That was one of like my major highlights of my life so far. <laughs> um, just like being so involved going to like board of ed meetings and like speaking at events and like traveling to like meet with other organizations and talking to them. It's been, it's been amazing. That's awesome. How did the campaign get started? So I didn't join until a year into the campaign, Mm -hmm. but I do know about the history. So the campaign was something that Mojo chose collectively. So we did a study where we collected almost a thousand surveys from SFUSD students and like their experiences with mental health and like mental services in schools. And after that survey was conducted, we even had like an SF State professor come in to help us. And what did you learn about mental health and young people? Were all the young people feeling really good and not needing any help? Or what was was going on? What did you Um, learn? uh, We learned that um, students of color actually had way more barriers to getting mental health services at school. And a lot of it, I would say, would come from um, stigma, not only from the culture, but also like from family. And we took these findings and we just condensed it into a report and we shared it with SFUSD when we launched our campaign in August of 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. And then that's when like things started to pick up more and yeah. Yeah. And to build off of what Emily had just shared, I was there during the beginning of 2016, actually. And I remember in that year, 2016, that was when we started hearing a lot of stories and themes around students feeling like they didn't feel safe at school. I think internally within staff in that year, we also were continually receiving cases of young folks who were coming to us because they were in need of resources in addressing violence in their lives, particularly noticing a rise in gender-based violence amongst our high school youth, domestic violence within their families. And so thinking about that context, it's very clear as to why our young folks decided on this campaign work. If we looked at the reasons why different students of color were not accessing or receiving resources, there were nuances and reasons. One, particularly for the Asian American student population we surveyed, young folks feeling like when they exhibited mental health symptoms that they often went unnoticed. 
and they were often under-referred in connection with, you know, a model minority narrative, which assumes Asian Pacific Islander communities are introverted, docile, and high-achieving. This also heightened the feeling that our young folks had to internalize their struggles and internalize their stresses. Um, We also heard from a lot of our Black and Latinx youth survey participants that, you know, when they share that when they try to ask for support, they were oftentimes criminalized, right, for their trauma, and were oftentimes sent to wellness centers in their mind as a form of punishment. So I think that to us, to our young folks, was reason enough to move and to call for action and to really think about and assess, okay, we know this is a mental health issue, but we also know mental health is a symptom of all of the systemic trauma and oppressive powers that show up in our lives. And so that was kind of how our demands were birthed. Mm. In what you've just shared and what you just do, it's clear that you all are doing very powerful work around care and nurturance and healing and connection. And from that, building power and relationship to shift policies and systems. So wanted to hear a little bit more about how you went from understanding what the problem was to coming up with a solution. Yeah, so from the study that Mojo has done, the former core leaders before I came condensed it into five demands that we wanted to see change within like the school system um, surrounding mental health. And if I can recall all of them, (laughs) the first one is peer-to-peer coaching, which is something that we are currently working on with the district. Um, The second one is to have more funding towards the wellness centers and services. The third one being integrating culturally congruent education into the school. And then the fourth one being hiring local or um, I think I know. I think I'm reading your mind. The, yeah. the, um, creating more spaces where students can make decisions and govern decisions around what wellness programs look like in their schools. Staff hiring, offering intentional feedback, so that they can be a part of the agents of change in their environments. And then the last one, I think, was um, really shifting, increasing resources and funding to um, preventative services in wellness work so that we're not always thinking about wellness or emotional health or mental health from a place of reaction. The solution you articulated sounds beautiful, and it, it, it makes me think, why weren't all those things happening in the first place? So when you went, when you went to the school board and said, Uh, hey, we think you need to make some changes. How did that go? Yeah, we've had several meetings with um, the Board of Education, and we've also met with the Student Advisory Council, and it was hard to get our message across at times. We did have a little bit of pushback, and I was overjoyed when we actually, like, won our campaign on June 25th. Yeah, and that's when we had a unanimous yes to our campaign. So that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to build off of what Emily had shared, I think in the beginning and in a lot of the work that we do in CPA, I think our theory of change really is grounded in an understanding that power shift had to happen in multiple ways and that policy change was essential, institutional change was essential, and that there also had to be a cultural story change, right? A shift in our narratives that in in how we understand the implicit and the explicit stories that we tell about ourselves and we tell about the world. And I think one of the stories that we've come across time and time again is this belief and assumption that young people do not know enough to be change makers in the world. It was so easy to say, you know, we believe young people are the future. But when it came down to, okay, you believe young people are the future, but are you going to give them the power and the trust to 
even though they might not have the tools in this moment to become peer counselors, the power to learn and the power to deepen their toolkit so that they can fight for their own community and fight for their own healing and well-being. And young people who have issues with mental health grow up to be adults who have issues with mental health. And that in order for us to really think about healing and transformation from a holistic way, we have to really understand healing from that holistic perspective, from a place of abundance. You can mm-hmm. kind of get get more at the roots, the roots of things, mm-hmm. the roots of things. Emily, I'm I'm curious for you when you when you think about the importance of listening and in the process of, of healing as a community, as a young person, as a family, were there any moments in which in this in your time here you felt like heard in a way that you hadn't have felt heard before? I feel heard whenever I'm in Mojo. Mm. Like, yeah, I would definitely say that Mojo is like my second family and my second home. I just feel so present whenever like I come to our meetings and also like how present everyone else is and how they choose to come, not only like for the workshops that we do, but also like for each other. And everybody's so willing to share with everyone to like connect. And I found myself empathizing with everybody and their stories and really like so embraced and like so full of love from everybody. And yeah. Hmm. That's powerful. A couple of times you, you talked about this being a place where you feel present and that feeling present really came out of feeling seen and supported and reflected and cared for. And I think uh, when you talk about that, there's a certain kind of power in that presence that I can feel. And so when I hear about all of the the work that you and the other young people have accomplished, I'm not surprised because I can, I can feel it in the power of that presence. And you generate it together. You build it together as community. As you were talking about, it's not just the policy change. It's it's the hearts and the minds and the culture and our sense of who we are and our sense of connection and connectivity. And so as you tell the story, I can, I can feel it. I can feel it. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned that your family had a connection to this place that you didn't even realize until mm-hmm. later and wondering if you could share a little bit of that story. Yeah. So when I first wanted to join this program, I was telling my parents about it and at first, my dad was a little bit hesitant. He was just like, uh, okay, I'll let you go. Do you know why he was hesitant or he say? I'm not too sure, yeah. but I'm wondering if it has to do with like him being like very conservative and like it's Chinese Progressive <laughs> Association. Um, so I went over the summer and then I don't think it was until like a couple months into the program that my mom she told me that like yeah you know I've been there too when I first immigrated here I had people there to help me find jobs and I was like what <laughs> like wait you didn't tell me this before like when when I mentioned it earlier and she was like yeah well it was like a long time ago and I'm like well I would still wanted to I would have still wanted to know <laughs> yeah so I found that like really shocking and it's so interesting that this place has supported your family mm. over the years in ways that you didn't, you hadn't even realized until yeah. until the story got told. And as you describe how being here helped you kind of build a different kind of relationship with your parents, I'm curious if there's ways your relationship and your family has changed. And I'm curious if if your parents have reflected back mm. any new understanding of who you are as a person or or what they think about what what you're up to here. Mm. Definitely. Mojo has definitely like changed like who I am in a very good way. Because of Mojo, like um I remember just like coming home after like a meeting and where we had like a really like powerful workshop. I forgot which one it was, but I came home and I sat at the dinner table and I looked at my parents and I'm like, Are they gonna ask me what I did today? I <laughs> like, do they even know like what I learned today? Like what I did today? And and it's like, well, I'm not gonna wait for them to ask. So I just shared with them like what I learned and what I did that day. And we ended up having like almost like an hour long conversation. And I like love that. I love that feeling of like being able to like talk to my parents and like connecting with them. 
And from that day on, almost every meeting that I came home from, I would share what I learned with my parents. And we did have very um, polar opposite views and beliefs. And we definitely had language barriers. Like my mom can only speak and understand Cantonese. I mean, she knows basic English, but like it's harder for her. So I can only speak in Cantonese. And with my dad, he does have to translate for me because he's more a little bit more fluent in English. But even then, like the meaning of the words get lost in the, in Chinese. Because um, I tell my dad, like, no, like, there's a better word for that. He's like, no, it's this word. I'm like, no, but it's more, like, it's more, like, powerful than that, you know? So, like, there's definitely, like, a language barrier when it comes to, like, talking with my parents. But definitely throughout, like, my first summer in Mojo, like, that whole summer, I remember just coming home and, like, talking to my parents for, like, one to two hours, like, almost every night about all the things that we had workshops on, like the patriarchy or like capitalism and like mental health, like definitely mental health because it really taught me how my parents deal with their own struggles. And for me, it was very like painful to hear like you deal with it yourself, like you solve it on your own, like you don't you don't talk to anyone about it because if you do, like it'll bring shame it'll bring shame to you and your family and that's why you never talk about it with your friends because if you do like they'll look down on you I knew that wasn't true because my whole life my friends were my support system but it was just very painful to hear that because if those are their beliefs that means that they've been doing that doing it their whole lives too and I'm wondering like how much of an impact has that had on their lives yeah it just opened my eyes because it's like I Never would have thought that, like, what I'm hearing about the stigma around mental health in Asian families would be my family. And really, like, all the workshops that we do in Mojo, like, I would always bring it home and, like, talk to my parents about it because that was a time where we actually had our family time. Like, before Mojo, I kind of built up the habit of, like, not eating with them and, like, just, like, doing homework while eating dinner and, like, going on the computer. But really, like, having something to talk to them about really helped me connect with them and just like value our time together especially like now that I'm going off to college I'm like trying to just like savor every moment that I have with my parents Mm -hmm. and yeah I've asked I've definitely changed throughout my time in Mojo and it has I asked my parents I'm like hey like do you notice a change in me like (laughs) over the year and my mom was like yeah I definitely do and I'm like in a good way (laughs) bad way and she was like there are like pros and cons and I'm like wait what's the con (laughs) you know and then I'm pretty sure like the pros is that like we're talking together more as a family we're having such deeper and meaningful conversations but my family doesn't like how involved I am my mom like growing up she's always told me like oh um, Emily like you always have to do whatever the teacher tells you to do Um, also like do whatever like everyone else is doing around you basically just conform Um, and growing up I I have and then I also haven't um, because I've learned to like kind of grow out of it I'm trying to like be my own independent person yeah I've gotten some resistance from my parents of like me not coming back to Mojo in the fall in the school year my dad only wanted me to join for the summer and they didn't want me to continue it throughout the school year. Um, and I was like, no, like, I got to go back. <laughs> and, like, I, like, reasoned with them. And, like, they finally, like, let me come back. And I think why they didn't want me to is because we do actions sometimes. And, like, we speak at events and, like, go to protests and strikes. And, like, they don't want me doing that. I remember being, like, commanded by my dad, like, you cannot go to any of those it was so like frustrating for me because this was something that I was so like passionate about and I remember like even one time there's the Marriott strike that was going on I asked my mom like hey like are you free that weekend and she was like no I have work and I was like yeah I wanted to see if you wanted to go to the Marriott strike because my mom is also a housekeeper at a hotel so it very much affected her as well I told her that that it was a Marriott strike And, like, right away, she scolded me. She's like, no, Emily, you can't go. And I'm like, but why? Like, you're also kind of the reason why I want to go. Like, I want to, like, support you, you know. And 
she told my dad <laughs> I was planning to go and then I couldn't go so it's it's very frustrating to like kind of like it's kind of like a tug of war sometimes with my parents because it's like I really love the work that we do at Mojo and like it's hard to like get my parents to understand that passion sometimes because like yeah growing up I definitely had this feeling or like this fire inside of me but I didn't know what the name was like like I would hear my parents like share their like experience and and their stories like um, as working class like struggles that she has at work and like my dad would also like tell me like how frustrating it is for him like right now he's a retired taxi driver and like for me they would share their stories and I'm like but why can't you just stand up for yourself and like just tell them and you know and like I didn't put a name to that until I got to Mojo and like I really wanted justice for my parents you know and I really wanted to fight with them and for them and yeah, that's why I've been staying at Mojo and just mm-hmm. trying to do all that I can and also like learn as much as I can and like mm-hmm. in ways of how do I support them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's definitely like helped me strengthen my relationship with my parents. Like I would say like I'm I'm a lot lot closer to my mom and to my dad now than before like ever. It's <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Our parents love us so much and they do so much for us and they there's nothing they fear more than than anything happening to us because yeah. you know, all the sacrifices for us right and so to be in a situation where where you're bringing care and connection and courage and saying yeah let's go mm-hmm. and they're still feeling that fear you know they don't mm-hmm. want anything to happen to you mm-hmm. and to be yeah. in, in the midst of that is is quite a place to be it seems clear that the healing that you're doing is healing your family, mm-hmm. healing your parents, yeah. healing your ancestors. You know, I know my kids are going to do work that I couldn't do. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to be able to heal stuff I couldn't heal. Mm. And so part of it is just knowing that um, everyone's doing what they can. Mm-hmm. And that if we can stay connected in the way that you've been able to reconnect to your community and to your family, then that healing can happen in the way that it needs to over time. Can I offer something too? It reminded me, I think Emily, listening to your story of um, many ways, my own relationship with my parents when I was younger. You know, when I think back to my parents and the ways in which they responded or reacted to my involvement in some of our social justice work, I think back to like, what was it from their life story and experiences that shaped their need to hold on to that fear, you know, that feeling, that story of, you know, like being afraid of authority or being afraid of, you know, involving themselves into politics. And it, for me, I think in my family, it's grounded in their own relationship with and the history of Chinese government, right? And their own, you know, historical understanding of cultural revolution and this feeling of regardless of whichever position you take as a family, you will be persecuted. And I think for a lot of immigrants, the weight of making a mistake, every decision that you make, I think is much greater, right? I think there's a level for immigrants, for refugees, for folks of the diaspora. I myself have to always intentionally fight against adultism and fight against this internalized belief, right? And really think about what does it mean to truly believe that everybody, including young people, deserve to have choice in their life and deserve to be agents. And so I know the the difficulty and I also know that it's it's a worthy enough fight. And I remember I held a lot of anger for my parents for the longest time. And there's a lot of also internalized shame, right, towards my parents. And at a moment where I was able to stay in connection and at least understanding I wasn't going to agree with my parents' position. But that moment of understanding in connection with them while also not shrinking my own story and my own center and my own values. So I think a lot of times are for my Chinese family, I think I learned at a very young age this value of humility, right? But humility 
being seen as something where you had to shrink who you were for the sake of the collective good. But a good friend of mine, actually, Frances, who actually works here at CPA, she told me, she asked me, she's like, did you actually know that the Latin root of the word humility is actually humanity? You exhibit humility when you show up in your own humanity and allow the other person to show up in their own humanity as well. And I think it took a lifetime for my parents to learn a way of shrinking. And I know it's going to take a lifetime for all of us to learn humility from a place of fullness. But it's in those connections and in those conversations I hear from Emily and your conversations with your parents, those small practices are going to really make those transformative change. Was there a moment in your conversations with either your parents or with our TWC leaders? Was there a moment that surprised you? Yeah, Yeah. my heart-to-heart with Angela. Going into that conversation, I I was pretty nervous because I only know, like, enough Cantonese to get by. And Angela, her first language is uh, Chinese, so... And Angela is a tenant worker center leader, an adult leader. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I was assigned to her for Heart to Heart. And going into that conversation, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be a language barrier. And we ended up talking for, like, two and a half hours in, like, mostly Chinese, too. So I was, like, really... Like, for me, I was really proud of myself of being able to hold a conversation for that long. Um, But I also like really valued what we talked about because she's also a mom of two. And I was sharing with her like my struggles with my family and also like mental health as well. And she shared with me how she agreed that us youth need to take breaks and also like take care of ourselves to take care of our mental health and like decompress and like de-stress. And I was like, I was so surprised because like, with my parents, like, it was it was so different. Sometimes, like, at home, I would just yell out in frustration, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so stressed. And then, like, my dad would be like, no, you're not stressed. You don't know what that is. And I'm like, but then what am I feeling, you know? <laughs> so, so it was very, like, it was very surprising to hear that from her and have her, like, validate my feelings and, like, my struggles. And, like, she made me feel, like, seen in my struggles as well. And for me, that was, like, it was just so shocking and I I felt so connected with her and it was because she's a parent who understands that like the youth like do get stressed like from school and it was just amazing being able like to connect with her through that conversation. That's really powerful and so I think the big changes that we want to see in the world are all about those little moments and those little conversations. Hey everybody, it's Kate, your host here at Healing Justice Podcast. I'm just dropping in to give you a fuller welcome and orientation to the resources that we're offering in companionship with this series. So if you're new here, you may not know that our usual format for the podcast is to alternate weeks, one week with a conversation episode like what you're listening to now, diving in deeply to a topic with an incredible guest, And then the alternate week, we hear from that guest with a practice that they lead us through to help us begin to embody, experience, experiment with the topic that they were talking about. And so an example is that next week, you will hear a practice episode in which young leaders from Chinese Progressive Association move us through an exercise around cultural humility that they use in their Youth Mojo program. It's something you can listen to and practice along with yourself. It's something you can listen to and learn and then facilitate in your group. Um, Or it's even something you could literally play and your group could participate along with the recording. Make sure that you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, wherever you're listening, hit subscribe and you'll get a notification when our new episodes come out on Tuesdays. You can also find full show notes, including links to learn about Chinese Progressive Association's work including a link to a full transcript of this audio so that you can read along um, or create more accessibility for folks you know who may need to access this information through the transcript. And in the case of this episode, our transcript includes 
both English and a segment in Cantonese um, of Angela's words that we're about to hear in a few moments. And so check out the transcript link and everything you need to know at healingjustice.org slash podcast, and you can find everything there. Also, during this series, we are reading a book that is super awesome. It's an oldie but a goodie from AK Press called Stay Solid. We are recommending this book because it is a handbook for youth organizers and young leaders, uh, mostly rooted in political education and organizing practice. And it is an incredible book. It's huge, but super digestible, broken up into lots of sections. And there are contributing authors who are people we love and admire from here at the podcast. Everyone from Adrienne Marie Brown to RJ McConney um, to so many folks who are great youth organizers and leaders in um, transformational organizing. So if you want to pick up a copy of Stay Solid, go to akpress.org and you can use the code podcast for 15% off. This book is a great one if you're working with youth or if you're a young person yourself. To join book club, you'll go to healingjustice.org slash book club. And finally, to hang out with us in a million other ways, including social media, our website, our Patreon, everything you need to know, you can go to healingjustice.org slash community. So now we get to drop in on part two of this conversation at Chinese Progressive Association. This time Lai Wa is speaking to a worker organizer, one of the older leaders at CPA, whose name is Angela, alongside an interpreter named Adrian. We'll hear Angela's words in her native Cantonese, so drop in with us to really hear her speak in her own voice, whether you can understand the words or not. Let's listen. And now we have the pleasure of welcoming one of our most active and committed and dedicated Tenant Worker Center adult leaders, Angela Zhou, Chinese name Rui Fang Zhou otherwise known as Angela. And then to the right of me, I have my comrade, Adrian, who will be serving as interpreter for our conversation today. So we invited Angela because first and foremost, you have been one of the most active leaders and parent allies to our young people over the course of these past three years. When I think back to some of the most powerful moments that we've shared at CPA, I oftentimes think about the stories and the moments when the different generations come together from different walks of life and where we all sat down together and shared our different truths around what it was like coming to terms with what it meant to support family as an immigrant parent, what it meant for our immigrant youth to live in San Francisco. So I wanted to invite you here today, Angela, to expand and share a little bit more of your story. What were some of the lessons and challenges that came to mind in your journey in our campaign and what your hopes and dreams are for for our community, both young and old, moving forward? So um, Angela, first, before we go into um, our our reflections around our campaign, can you share a little bit about who you are? 咁我誒大家好啦，咁我叫Angela啦，咁我又係一位家長，又係誒進步會工人委員會嘅成員啦，咁我今日都好高興誒嚟到呢度誒認識誒咁多朋友，咁誒多謝啊麗華同埋阿
誒語言障礙嘅同埋文化嘅差異啦，咁令到我作為家長咧，誒、呃、兩個小朋友嘅父誒母親咧，咁都面對好多嘅壓力啊，同埋困難啦，誒點去誒去面對去挑戰去解決咯。嗯、um, ，so， 誒、uh, ，when I first moved here with my family， 嗯、um, ，I faced a host of issues ranging from Work-related, to living conditions, to language barriers, and we all had to figure out how to face these questions and issues, and how might we address them. 咁由於我哋誒移民嚟到咧，有好多家長又誒唔唔識英文啦，包括我自己嘅家人啦，咁誒去做嘅工咧，工作時間長啦。咁又好多時咧，就冇咩時間去照顧兩個細路仔啦。咁同佢哋相處嘅時間就比較少。咁結果咧，啲仔女咧又好容易忽視啦。咁啊，好似我個女啊，就曾經都向我反映過嘅。So because as new immigrants we do not know English, when we came here we could find only work that required us to work really long hours. As a result, I don't spend as much time with my two kids. My daughter, for example, has reflected to me、um, that、um, she wished that I was more present with her、uh, when she talks to me. 咁有一次咧，咁啊，我就一边煮饭啦，但好多时都习惯咗啦，一边诶，佢同我讲嘢啊，我一边做嘢啊，咁咁啊，佢又觉得我就冇诶去重视佢啦，咁啊令令到诶，即系话我觉得又唔专心啊，咁佢又觉得我就冇诶冇同佢真系去分享一啲事情，佢想讲嘅心事俾我知，但系佢觉得我咁做咧就唔开心咯。So one specific moment was when I was cooking and doing other things.、Uh, my daughter was trying to share what's in her heart with me, and I、um, I received feedback from her afterwards that、uh, she felt I was ignoring her、uh, by multitasking, and、um, that she she didn't feel comfortable continuing to share with me as a result. 咁同埋咧，又當我哋誒搬入華埠嗰啲散房住嘅時候咧，嗰啲同好多人啲一齊住啦，咁個環境就好惡好惡劣嘅，空間又窄。咁咧，咁相比下咧，我哋喺中國住嘅環境咧係好闊落啊，咁啊好舒服。咁喺美國咧，真係比唔上喺中國住嘅環境咯。誒、uh, ，in terms of the living conditions， 嗯、um,。The environment that we moved into in the U.S. are quite narrow and also poor quality,、uh, which is really incomparable to the spaciousness in our houses in China. 咁又好好似有好多誒，好啲華人啊家長啊，咁佢哋。住誒好、呃、多兄弟姊妹一齊移民嚟到美國啦，咁啊去想去改變佢哋嘅生活，有誒、呃、將來啲細路仔有好嘅教育啦。但係咧，由於嗰個文誒嗰、呃那個英文又唔識啊，咁只能咧佢哋誒嚟到唐埠咧住得比較逼滯啊，一一大個家庭，即係話個家族住埋一齊，咁咧咁啊令令到嗰個環境又唔好啦。咁啊，但係冇辦法啦，揾嘅錢啊少，咁啊誒節約房租咯，唯有。Um, oftentimes, when、uh, Chinese immigrants move to the states, they do so with their family members, and um, and uh, they move here because they want better education for their their children, and um, uh, to save money, um, they they might live all together in the same in the same place. 咁誒逼埋一齊咧，為咗慳錢咁啊，令到個空間又細啦，咁啊壓迫感啊，容易令到人與人之間嗰個摩擦啦，有好多拗撬啦，咁咁啊，好似青少年咧，啲青年人咧，隨著年紀佢哋誒長大啦，尤其係對感受到種種嘅矛盾，咁啊令到佢哋好大嘅壓力。
Um, and as you can imagine, um, many people living in the same place uh, will create a lot of conflicts and tension. Um, for our young people, um, it's the same. Um, they cannot escape the tension that is created uh, when you put a whole family together in a very small space. 咁佢哋誒本身就講英文又唔係咁好啦，好多口音啦。咁咁喺佢哋喺學校咧都會受到同學之間嘅排斥啊，誒、呃、令到佢哋咧即係話誒好少同其他誒、呃、本地嗰啲學生啲同學仔咧去溝通啦。咁但係佢哋都通過好努力，咁都都要需要三至五年先能夠嗰個英語叫做過關咯。So the the heavy Accented English、uh, will make it harder for、um, immigrants to become part of、uh, friend friend groups with other locals, and yeah, and all of that creates more pressure for our young people. 咁佢哋种种嘅因素咧，诶呢啲对呢啲年青人咧，咁佢哋有多诶，即系话压抑感啦，咁。但系佢哋只能同誒佢哋身邊嗰啲啊，同佢哋嘅一啲新移民嗰啲同學仔啊，一齊誒做朋友啊，去溝通。咁但系咧，有啲咧就因為嗰啲家庭富裕，咁有啲家庭又窮啦。嗯、um, ，so 嗯嗯 ，yeah so 啊、uh, from you know。The working conditions that their parents face, to living conditions, to language—all of these create、um, uh, different kinds of pressure to immigrant youth. And um, um, yeah. 咁好似佢哋，尤其有啲誒家庭經濟環境惡劣嘅時候咧，嗰啲青年人咧，佢又誒就壓。壓力咧更加之大啦，佢有有得對比咯。咁佢哋咧，甚至咧就為咗誒體諒父母咧，習慣咧節衣節食，即係節衣縮食啦。咁體諒父母咧，揾錢艱難啊。咁佢哋會甚至咧會選擇唔沉默咯，唔講嘢咯。I also personally know young people who are very con considerate, and so especially when Um, times are not good. The economy is not doing well.、Um, they will especially、uh, turn quiet and refuse to share what they need with their parents、uh, as a gesture of being、um, being considerate and、um, and and good to their parents. 咁，我觉得呢啲年青人咧，佢哋非常之懂事啦，诶，体谅父母咁。嘅艱難啦，咁佢哋誒雖然父母都喺生活上咧，都唔都滿足唔到呢啲青年人嘅誒、呃、物質上嘅需要啦。咁因為父母已經盡咗佢哋嘅嘅力去俾佢哋嘅。嗯、um, ，in in these situations， the the young people are very considerate， 誒、uh, ，and the the parents themselves have also Tried their best to provide for their children.、Um, mm -hmm. Angela, I wonder.、Um, you know, you've you've really captured such a such a、um, picture, and and for people listening,、um, of what it feels like. To grow up、um, living in San Francisco as an immigrant parent,、um, and what you imagine growing up、um, as an immigrant young person in San Francisco must look like, feel like, sound like,、um, and I wonder, as as a parent yourself.、Um, What were some of the lessons or learnings that you are sitting with、um, after having been in conversation or having been bear witness to the testimonies of our young folks in their fight for 
to be seen in a holistic way in schools? Um, what are some of those lessons for you? So through being a part of this mental health campaign, I got the chance to meet young people and I really think they are super cool and very brave to be speaking out about uh, what their needs are in that area. I really admire this very courageous and confident display of what they what they think and need. Uh, specifically, um, I take a lot of inspiration from a one of the demands from the campaign, the one that deals with um, peer-to-peer counseling. And I think that I learned from this demand uh, that young people desire um, a certain kind of connection. Um, so as a parent, I am also learning from this experience and uh, what I learned is that young people value understanding, they value listening, they value respect, they value compassion, they value encouragement, and they also value support. And so this is what I as a parent um, am learning as I participate in this campaign. My, the mental shift I made is um, I regard my children as my friends. I, I want to learn to be with them in that way and to grow with them in, in, in that capacity. Uh, a few years ago, my daughter uh, scolded me in front of many people for the way that I uh, was uh, bringing her up. Uh, but today, I'm happy to say that um, my my son is uh, close to me uh, in, in many ways due to the changes I've made. Um, over the course of participating in this campaign and being with young people and learning from them. Um, My my son gives me a hug each day, and uh, from me he gets a lot of confidence and also um, and happiness too. So if I have um, done something wrong, I will uh, say sorry to my son. 
。咁好似最近咧，我诶，我同我我仔咧就反映，佢话佢周末我安排佢太多课外嘅活动啦，排得好好紧，咁啊令到佢咧就冇时间做佢本身学校嘅功课，同埋冇得休息去玩，咁佢好嬲。Uh, very recently, my son told me that I have arranged too many extracurricular activities for him on the weekend, such that he couldn't complete his schoolwork and and rest and play. And、um, I I heard it, and、um, I'm 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 changing. What I'm resonating with is how, on the one hand, the conditions from which you were parenting, right, as an immigrant, the the struggles that an immigrant parent goes through, oftentimes limit the choices, right, that you have or your access to showing up emotionally or showing up the way that you really wanted to for your child. And I really appreciate. Your reflections, the humility that you are showing today, to really listen and to come from a place of wanting to learn from young folks, and I also want to honor that. I'm sure the learning is also reciprocal. Your embodiment of what it means to struggle together and what it means to be a parent, and maybe sit with some of these contradictory feelings of what mental health looks like or feels like for you and your child. I think you've made such a deep impact for our young folks just by embodying, understanding, empathy, and really appreciate you for that. That's such a Powerful illustration of what I understand to be beloved community, and if we can listen to each other, and if we can stay connected, especially when it's hard, especially when we disagree, especially when we can't hear each other. <laughs> and, <laughs>、yeah. and 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 as you said, this commitment to just keep coming back and keep coming back, and you know all the small conversations, and then at some point there's a breakthrough, there's a recognition, there's a shift in understanding. It's like, oh, okay, I, I can see something now that I couldn't see before. Because we hung in there together,、mm-hmm. it definitely feels like a moment where, all over the world, young people are stepping forward with clarity and courage, and creativity, and saying we have to stand together, and we need all generations to stand together. So when you think about the little things that you've done every day, and then the big things, like the marches and the protests and the actions, what's your hope for? The next few years, what do you think is possible? What are you dreaming of? I'm hoping that, especially youth, to get more educated on like politics, especially because after being a mojo and getting so politicized, I was like, wait, this matters to me. This affects my life too. So I really hope that like. Young people really need to go out and vote, you know, because we can't have other people really be like making decisions for us, you know, because those decisions affect our lives. So I really hope that like more people really go out of their comfort zone to really like explore like the topics that like they're uncomfortable、um, like learning about or just like don't even know about.、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、Ooh. I dream of a world where. Every person will have a different relationship to mistakes. I see very intimately and very deeply the ways in which mistakes and perfectionism ruin our community members, and even within our movement, we live in a world where an economy where it's incredibly transactional. You know where. There's not a lot of opportunities for us to be spiritual and human and. Exist in schools are not a lot of opportunities for us to be human and go to work, and my hope for everything that we do in our campaign and our mojo work is for us to free ourselves from this feeling that we have to be perfect under this capitalist system that we have to like shame ourselves. Right, leaning into our growth edges means giving ourselves the permission to just feel and the permission to just. Fail and not let that prevent us from moving and taking that center line and speaking our dreams into existence. My hope is for us to remember what it was like to be a child again. Like, you know, there's a lot of fight 
and there's a lot of need for us to harness that anger and fight. And in order for us to create a different world, we also need to draw from a different energy. And that energy has to come from a place of childlikeness, a place of happiness and freedom. That's my hope. That sounds like exactly what we need. And that means lots of room to grow and fall down and get up and mm -hmm. do all the things that we do as humans and, and just, uh, and to not live in a world that's so precarious, especially for people who um, the consequences of mistakes can be really, really harsh mm -hmm. and really uh, unforgiving and unacceptable. And so, yeah, I also have to appreciate you all for being a part of an intergenerational journey I didn't even realize. My last um, work as an organizer was here in San Francisco with Youth Making a Change in 1999. And our last campaign was Counselors Not Cops that created the wellness yes. centers in the schools. Yes, yes. That you oh all have, gosh. yes. Gave <laughs> mad props to Coleman, yes. Yeah. So to see, to see sort of the generation of young people who did that set of work and then 20 years later, for you to talk to young people and find out that they're struggling and not getting the support that they need in the ways that they need it, and to figure out what would need to happen so that all young people would get what they deserve. So grateful to all of you on behalf of the young people that I worked with in that generation. Thank you so much. Yeah, mm. had you all not done that work. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're all standing on other shoulders and if we, if we do our work well, then there'll be others standing on our shoulders later. And so together we'll get there where we need to go. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Chinese Progressive Association, Youth Mojo, Laiwa, Taj, Emily, Angela, and Adrian for being part of this episode. We encourage you to listen along next week when we hear a practice offered by youth organizers at CPA in reflecting on and building cultural humility. After that, we'll get two more episodes in this series hanging out with Freedom Inc. in Madison, Wisconsin. They're going to teach us all about how they hold harm, accountability, political and leadership development in a community that is both intergenerational and deeply multiracial, mostly building across lines of Black and Hmong community in Wisconsin. And it is truly an episode that you're not going to want to miss. So make sure that you hit subscribe in whatever platform you're listening. Leave us a five-star review if you feel so inclined. And also join us in book club reading Stay Solid, a radical handbook for youth, which you can find at akpress.org and enter the code podcast to get 15% off your purchase. To see the show notes from this episode and read the full transcript, you can find it at healingjustice.org slash podcast. And to learn of all the ways you can be in relationship with us and hang out and talk with us, you can go to healingjustice.org slash community. A reminder that at the beginning of December, we're going to be changing our name as a show. So prepare yourself for some great news around our gorgeous new name. And to not be disoriented, we're going to make sure we don't lose touch with any of you. So join our email list at healingjustice.org. Follow us on social media so that we can keep hanging out even after our name changes. You can find us under our new name. A big thank you to our producer, Jale Akavan, for editing this episode, and to Zach Meyer at The Coal Room for sound mastering. Thank you so much for being here, for your commitment to intergenerational organizing and following youth leadership. So excited to continue practicing with you, and we'll hear you next week.